Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Waring Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. My practice specializes in providing fact-based strategic and risk management advice to clients that are buying, selling, or growing the value of companies and their intellectual property. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. I also recently launched a new LinkedIn group called Unblakeable's Group That Doesn't Suck. So please join that as well if you would like to engage. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Today's topic is, should I replace my salespeople with customer service or customer care representatives? According to the State of the Connected Customer Report, second edition produced by Salesforce.com, 84% of customers say that the key to winning their business is being treated like a person and not a number. And, uh, you know, like so many things in the last two years, I think we've changed our relationship with sales. Um, it's, it's been very difficult, I think, for a conventional sales approach to survive in a coronavirus, trans-coronavirus pandemic. Hopefully we're getting to the other side of this thing, but who the heck knows. Um, and, and for a long time, some of the traditional sales approaches and techniques simply were not available to us. You couldn't, you couldn't take someone out to a ball game because they weren't playing. <laughs> um, you couldn't meet people in bars and restaurants. Conferences were effectively shut down for a year. Uh, flying out to see people was difficult at best. Um, and, and the list goes on and on. And meanwhile, we've, we've undergone a massive digital transformation and, and traditional sales methods are being replaced uh, at, a, you know, at, at a minimum they're being supplemented, but they're largely being replaced by digital relationships, real conversations, um, uh, freely providing information with with no expectation of something in return um, uh, an approach to business that is about that is about alignment with core beliefs of customers employees and even shareholders you know it's it's all changing and it's all changed and some of it will change back but I don't think that all of it will I don't think anybody thinks that all of it will and and sales have changed. And if we want to continue to being as successful as we have been in the past, this is simply one more of the areas in which, in which we need to change. And I was having a conversation with, with our, our guest about a week and a half ago, and, and she brought to me this idea um, and this concept that she's been advising her clients on in terms of, of, of changing a, a, a posture of sales from the, the traditional sales representative to a customer, a customer care representative, if you will. And I thought that was really interesting. And, and as we continued that conversation, it got my, my wheels turning and thinking, you know, there's a lot here. And I think a lot of companies may be starting to do this, or they're at least sniffing around the, the concept if they haven't pulled the trigger. And uh, that, that tells me it's an opportune time to, to address this topic on the podcast. So joining us today is Kristen Zhivago. Kristen is the president of Zhivago Partners, a digital marketing management company that serves both business-to-business and business-to-customer clients 
consumer clients in a variety of industries. Her digital agency is comprised of a core infrastructure team and a variety of specialists in the various digital methods and media. Kristen's career began in the high-tech industry. She and her husband, through their high-tech agency, helped introduce and market all the technologies we take for granted today. When the web emerged as a commercial medium, she branched out into other industries and reinvented herself to become a revenue coach, helping CEOs and entrepreneurs sell the way her customers want to buy. Her five-star book, Roadmap to Revenue, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy, was chosen by Forbes as one of the top sales and marketing books. Christian Javago, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Good to be here. So... I want to start off with a very basic question that may not be so basic, but it sounds it sounds basic, but the answer may not be. In your mind, what is the difference between a sales representative and a customer service or customer care representative? Well, there's a big answer. So several big answers to that question. I'll try to keep it succinct. Um, one is the way salespeople are compensated. So they are compensated to close sales, get to the end, make the money come in. So there's commission, there's quota, there's the usual um, push, push, push kinds of things. The other is the type of person who enjoys working in that environment and thrives in that environment um, is, we used to call them hunters. And then there are other types of people who are farmers or nurturers. And those people tended to stay out of sales because they didn't want to work on a quota and they didn't want to do that push, push, push stuff. Now, the the real problem is that the, the and I used to call myself a recovering salesperson, but I, I think I'm so far beyond it now. I don't need to worry about that anymore. But there's a tendency among salespeople to want to be the ones in the conversation who know the most about that particular thing. It's a, it's a point of pride where they know the product and they know the answers and so on, and they're educating the customer. The problem is customers are no longer dependent on salespeople anymore for their information. And even 10 years ago when I was giving speeches in, in Holland about um, to sales groups about customers, I, even then, I was saying that they customers were getting 60 to 80% of their questions answered on the web before they ever talked to a salesperson. And they had access, and they definitely do now even more than before, to other customers who had bought that product or service. And so they not only knew the good, wonderful stuff that the salespeople would say, but the stuff that the salesperson wouldn't say. They find out that sort of the ugly underlying truth that there is one. So that's changed. And the customer, by the time they get to a salesperson, they have one or two very specific questions. And the salesperson has to be able to answer those questions. And another problem with salespeople uh, is that they're often trained more for the general top of the funnel types of questions and they're they're really they always have to say, oh, I have to get my technical expert in on that one or something, or a subject matter expert for the bottom of the funnel. So there's a lot of disconnects going on right now in all industries. And if you ask a normal person, you know, do you like being sold to? The answer is no. So we've just got a real problem with people hiring people to do things that other people that they're selling to don't want. Yeah, and and you know, I I think we even have less of a tolerance for it now, um, for whatever reason, whether it's it's lack of patience or we just find our time to be more valuable, or it, it's just a rewiring of of how we as human beings approach things. I think we're even less tolerant of being sold to now than we were, say, two three years ago. Do you agree with that? Oh yeah, I definitely agree with that, and especially because. You know, Google still owns about 95% of the search market and they've gotten, they've continued to get better and better at giving you what you want when you go to look. You might have to revise your search term a little bit, but there's, there's a new quality among customers now characteristic, which, and I just wrote a blog article about this recently where they assume if they just keep trying, they're going to find exactly what they want. 
So they're just, they have no patience. Um, now I, I'm, I'm curious. I was kind of thinking about this conversation. Can, can customer service representatives be confused or conflated with an inside sales position? You know, some and, and that, that inside sales being defined as somebody without you whom you already have a relationship as opposed to a brand new relationship that you're trying to convert. Is there a comparison or contrast that can be made there? Well, it's an interesting question. Uh, I have a client who is the shining star example of this whole approach because um, I've been talking for years to people about making this shift because I saw it coming because I interview customers for my clients all the time. And I, I just, there's no question that we've made this shift. Um, but this particular client <clears throat> is a very good manager and he's also an operations guy. He's a logistics person. So he tends to think in terms of logistics and he could see that that whole sales thing wasn't working. He made the shift and brought his customer service people into this role of making it easy for customers to buy, which is another aspect of this. By the time they come to you, they have the money in their hand, burning a hole in their pocket, their virtual pocket, and they, they are ready to buy. So you really have to just get out of the way, give them exactly what they need and let them make the purchase. They're on a quest to spend the money. So you're really helping them buy. You're not selling them. You're not trying to convince them of anything. You're just giving them the facts. You understand, you know the product really well and you understand how to give them what they want, maybe by doing things a little differently if they need something right away and you're stuck with the supply chain issue, maybe you help them rent something for a month before they get the product. This particular client makes data center equipment um, and they found that to work. These same people also go back to existing customers, people they've had, you know, bought the product maybe two years ago or a year ago or whatever. And they have as part of their job to discuss those those issues with those folks and you know check back with them and say how are you doing you bought this how is it going and people actually appreciate that and they've gotten a lot of uh, sales out of that as well i do have to say that since he did this their sales have done that wonderful hockey stick thing that we love to see that i i live for the hockey stick where it just was going yeah. along going along so and then it zooms up and this is a company that's been around for a long time. And even with COVID, even with supply chain issues, they're just, they're going gangbusters. They can't make them fast enough. You know, that brings in, that brings an interesting, an interesting question, at least to me in mind, is that uh, I think what you're saying is that the role of the salesperson as gatekeeper to information has been made obsolete. Oh, absolutely. By, yeah. by that. Yep. Now, now also, I, I might argue that a little knowledge can, can go a long way to be dangerous as well. Yep. A, a, a customer having done their research, but, and they may be informed, but they're not experienced, mm-hmm. may have in mind something, one thing, but there's something completely different or or just different, perhaps even more expensive, but is a much better fit with their actual need. Mm-hmm. And, and is, is, is that something that the customer service representative is, is equipped to address? They should be. Um, and the trick here is they need to be humble enough and honest enough to say, I don't know, I'll help you find out. Or, you know, let me check with my boss. Let's get him on the phone or whatever they need to do to keep the, the conversation going, but to help the customer make the decision. And, and a good customer service person, if something else is better for the client, will say that. And again, because they're not on a quota, they don't have a commission. They're not going to be personally penalized. You know, sometimes you can put them on uh, a company wide, you know, if our revenue goes up a certain percentage, you get a bonus. 
that kind of thing is good because it's for everybody. Everybody shares. And if they help each other, they all benefit. So I think that's a better way to handle that kind of incentive. But in the individual conversation, they should be able and willing to just say, you know what, I I need to find out more. Or, you know what, I think this other solution might be better for you. And what's interesting about that is that the trust factor goes up like a thousand percent because now the person knows that they're willing to help you, uh, to help them make a decision without being all biased and pushing them into something they, they don't want. And they will remember that later when they're in a position where they might want that, or if they want to recommend someone to someone else. If somebody says, do you know anybody good? And they'll say, well, you know, these I didn't actually buy from these people, but they were so helpful. And this might be what you want, but they'll tell you the truth. So if you go to them, you'll, you'll get the straight scoop. And you know, I wonder if that in that context too, it, 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 there's just something about the dynamic where if, if the representative of the company, whatever form that takes is, is willing to kind of let you go, if you will, that if they're not the right, mm-hmm. they're not the right solution. You don't have the right solution for them, yep. but you're not trying to hammer that square peg into a round hole. And I, I can tell you so that some of my best and most loyal clients for me anyway, are people that I initially said, you know what, we're not the right people to help you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Happens all the time. Much more than anybody likes to admit, but that is correct. I've even had clients where when I first started talking to them, I kept thinking, well, I don't know. I don't know if we're right for you. And I was saying it and they kind of had to talk me into it because we started realizing maybe I could help them, but, but you have to be agendaless. The problem with the classic salesperson is they have an agenda and that's to close the sale. And that agenda is not the same as the customer. The customer wants to make the correct decision. Those are two very different agendas. So if all you're doing is trying to help them make the right decision and think it through, they're actually going to be appreciative of the time you spend with them and the knowledge that you do bring to that process. So, I think when most of us think of a customer service representative, myself included, I think of I think of somebody that I'm calling when there's a an issue to be addressed or a problem that has to be solved or a, a failure that needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And and in in making the switch, are, are is what we're doing is that we're expanding the role of existing customer service representatives to then add this this responsibility to take care of potential uh, new buyers, if you will, or new purchases, or is there a redefining kind of both roles that, that creates more alignment with the the descriptive vocabulary? I think it's more of a realignment. I I was just talking to one of the wonderful people. She's very helpful. She's done a fantastic job in this role. Um, And she said, something interesting. She said, you know, if her manager, the guy I've been talking about, had set it up just like the normal sales thing, she wasn't interested at all. You know, she wasn't interested in the extra money. She wasn't interested in the whole push, push, push. But she loves helping people make these decisions. Now, you do still have to have customer service people. And they have in this particular company, it's a mid-sized company, they have uh, two people handling these types of conversations and then other couple other people who handle the normal customer service kinds of stuff. Because that's more of after you buy, now you've got an issue you need to deal with. It's a very different thing. Yep. So, so you know, Making this transition, well, let's talk about let's talk about the the mechanics of making the transition because you know if somebody is interested in this topic, they're probably wondering, okay, how, how do I go about this? And and the first the first question is, can can an existing sales force be retrained, <laughs> reconfigured, reoriented, mm-hmm. realistically to adopt a customer service posture? Or is it more likely that you're going to have to make some wholesale changes? The latter. 
I mean, I always laugh. I mean, I, I, I would love to say you could, you could teach, uh, and, and we tried actually, we, you know, because this, this wonderful manager had already bought into the whole concept. And so they had me do some coaching of their current salespeople. Um, it didn't work. And I'm a pretty good sales coach, but it was just, it, it was so contrary to what got them up in the morning. They liked being the guy who knew it all. They liked being the guy who was reaching out, talking to people. And as it turns out, they actually left the company um, for other reasons, but uh, which turned out to be a good thing. <clears throat> so we, we were able to work that out. <clears throat> Excuse me. But uh, when we looked back at their activity, most of what they were doing was talking to existing big customers and doing that. Hi, how you doing, Bob? You know, how's the wife and kids and, and going out for golf back in the day when, <clears throat> when people did that. Um, and they weren't really selling anyway. They were just riding on the coattails of some large deals. So that was, but that was a separate thing. I mean, that's, that's that particular group of folks but they really don't have the same kind of mindset. Now you're going to think, well, what are salespeople going to do if, if the role of the salesperson is gone? And the answer is, I don't know. I have a lot of friends who are salespeople. I, I love salespeople. They're great, you know, but in a way, this is like cats and dogs. Salespeople are dogs. They jump up and greet you and they're all happy and outgoing. And the customer service people, I don't know if they're exactly cats because cats kind of turn you into a slave instead of the other way around. Yeah. Uh, but they're, they're, it's a different, it's a nurturing thing. It's a comforting thing. It's a caring thing. It's a helpful thing. It's, you know, the only thing that matters is that you end up happy when you hang up the phone and that's, that's all they care about. It's a different kind of thing. So at the moment, I haven't seen that work. So yes, you probably have to hire at least hire somebody to start working on this, uh, even if it's part time from their home, which is good because you can do a virtual thing and try it out. You know, I wonder if a, if a future role for traditional salespeople. First of all, I, I wonder if there if there are industries where that's still going to work. For example, something that's heavily commodity driven, um, where it's really not about information at that point. Um, uh, because in from everything's homogeneous, but, but also, you know, I wonder if there's a, still a role for that kind of salesperson making outbound calls because it, it, it seems to me and correct me if I'm wrong, the customer service role that you're describing seems awkward to me in, in a, in an outbound role. Yeah, I agree. And that yeah. it's like calling up random people and saying, Hey, do you need help? Yeah, you know, it may be I'm well glad you brought that up. Yeah, I, I'm really glad you brought that up because there's another aspect of this, another part of this, which is one of the reasons that this is working so well for this particular client is that we happen, our company, our agency lives to bring in leads, good leads for people. And we just keep figuring out what digital channels or what other things we need to do to make that happen. And so they have a good flow of incoming leads. They don't need anybody to make outgoing cold calls. So that's number one. Number two, the whole idea of cold calling doesn't really work anymore. There's a lot of companies that claim they can do it. Um, I'm honestly, I keep trying to see if I can make it work somehow. And I'm just not convinced. When somebody's ready to buy, Nothing will stop them from going out to Google or their friends or whatever and finding the people they should talk to and then reaching out. They're just, they know you're accessible. The websites are all there for them. They can go and go and find you in, in a nanosecond. So the whole idea of calling someone who might have a need, maybe because of their title or their role or whatever, or the company that they're in, it's just the only thing you can do with those folks is to nurture them over time with really good information that you keep sending to them and do kind of a cold email outreach, maybe combine it with LinkedIn or something. But until they're ready, they're not interested. And they're just, it's just going to be a very discouraging exercise for someone. Yeah. And to that point, I mean, I'm, I'm not even sure 
in many cases, I'm not even sure how you effectively cold call. Although, you know, companies still do it, right? We, we, we all still receive phone calls for extended warranties and somebody wants to buy our house. So <laughs> it's still going on. Although, mm-hmm. again, the, it's weird that it's focused on those two things. Yeah. Presumably it works, so they wouldn't do it. Uh, well, I think the uh, extended warranty people are, are playing a game of numbers. They make millions of automated calls. And, yeah, that's right. And, and, so they, and they get enough to pay for it, so they keep it up. And, 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 you know, I, I think that, I think that's exactly right in that because the calls themselves are automated, the economics can kind of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but the notion of sort of dialing for dollars, you know, how do you get through to anybody anymore? Well, that's you know? the other thing. Everyone has caller ID Yep. and whether it's on their office system or their phone, mostly their phone. And they just they they just aren't going to answer the and and even says you know possible spam, yep. or I live in Rhode Island and there's a little island off the coast of where I live and it's called Block Island, and I know for sure that there is no corporation on Block Island that's going to be right. calling me about anything. So when it says it's Block Island, I just laugh. I just know you know so the screening aspect is oh golly a hundred times more effective than it used to be. And so you just don't get through. And if you, if they don't want to answer you, they just don't, they're not interested. People don't return every call anymore. They're just, they're just not going to do it. So, yeah, I think it is broken. You said it was totally obsolete and it really is. And to me, it's a real shame. And this is one of the biggest problems with sales and marketing in general is that people will go on for decades doing the wrong thing hoping it's going to work because somebody sold them on the idea. And and it's very different from manufacturing or finance or any of the other areas of business where you can tell pretty soon that something's not working, you know, especially manufacturing and you stop doing it, but they're not doing that with sales and marketing. They keep beating their heads against the same wall and hoping it's going to work. It's very sad. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting because, I think it. I think it speaks to to how hard sales and marketing is. Yeah. That I think to some extent you're almost. It's a placebo effect, right? You're almost happy just hiring somebody that even says that they're capable of doing it, mm-hmm. and and that they want to do it. Yeah. Um, uh, even and when six it, months later, you've spent all the money. This is uh, yeah. the situation our clients are in when they come to us is I've tried this and this and this, and I spent all this money and the needle didn't move. And that's sad. That's yeah, really and, sad. And I'm really glad you brought that up because that, that segues in another question I wanted to ask, which is um, it, it seems to me that the, that the key difference between traditional sales and I'm going to call this this new approach, if you will, or the customer mm-hmm. service approach to sales mm-hmm. is that that traditional sales are very easy to measure, right? Number yeah, of yeah. calls, number of conversions, et cetera, et cetera, right? You mm-hmm. just go down the line. Mm-hmm. Customer service seems to me harder to kind of define and, and measure and manage KPIs over time. But you tell me, is that true? No, it's not true. This this manager <clears throat> is very logistically driven, as I mentioned, and we have KPIs. Um, we have uh, advertising that we do. We do content marketing for them. In fact, we started advertising their some of their most popular blog articles, which is bringing in wonderful leads for us, um, something we just started. And... Uh, we can track if you have a good CRM system and you're tying the the activities of the marketing campaign, the the, mach- the machinery of the marketing campaign, the infrastructure to the client's system. You can absolutely track the uh, outgoing or the the marketing effort all the way through to a closed sale. And in fact, each month we we get on with the CEO of the company and we show them the actual ROI numbers. You know, here's what has come from marketing and here's your ROI. And it's a really big number and it's a wonderful thing. So, yes, you can do that. There's no really no difference. I mean, and in fact, salespeople were never that good at entering data into CRM systems anyway. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't depend on them for that. 
anyway. You you really couldn't ever. So now it's a, it's a matter of automating that process going through and having little trigger points that say, okay, this was this lead that came in. The only tricky thing is when they came into an ad and then they came back three months later looking at a blog article and then maybe they had some kind of, we had an email go out to them or something and then they buy. So which one of those things do you then attribute that to? And we tend to, and there's this, this is not a perfect science that you get as close as you can get. And in that case, we would attribute it to the first touch, the ad. So it, it, I wonder, do you ever encounter that maybe there's a little bit of a stigma here that needs to go, needs to be addressed? And that, that being that there's a distinction in sales between, you know, the originator and the order taker. Mm-hmm. And, and much of what you're describing candidly doesn't exactly fit, but I think you can see where I'm going. And, and if you look through the lens of a traditional sales role, mm-hmm. it sounds an awful lot like an order taker. And, and an order taker is sort of a, a, a dirty word because the feeling is that anybody can answer the phone, take an order and not screw it up. Uh, I think I know how you're going to respond to that, but I'd, I'd like you to <laughs> react to that. Um, you know, is, is that stigma going away and, you know, what, what's sort of happening with that, with that belief system? Well, first of all, they're not order takers. They are people who are helping the customer with their buying process. And one of the big things I've been pushing for years in my book and all my speeches is that our job is not to sell the customer. Our job is to make it easy for them to buy. They want to buy. We need to make it easy for them. So how do we do that? Now, I need to segue into something else for a second. In the book, I talk about the four types of products and services in the world based on the amount of scrutiny that the customer applies to the purchase. So you've got light scrutiny, medium scrutiny, heavy scrutiny, and intense scrutiny. The light scrutiny products are commodities, really cheap, see it, buy it, don't have many questions, you know, the candy bar at the checkout counter kind of thing. Medium scrutiny are things like clothing on the B2C side and maybe some simple software on the B2B side. You you have a few questions. It costs a little bit more than hardly anything. And there, there might be a few other people involved, maybe. Then there's heavy scrutiny where you have lots of questions and there's many people involved and there's a salesperson who has to get involved to help you figure out how to structure the deal and all that. You have a lot of questions. On the BDC side, obviously, those are houses and cars and those kinds of big purchases. And then intense scrutiny is all of that, but you get married. It's a long-term process or it's a big, big deal like a Boeing airplane or something that somebody's having Boeing make. So obviously this type of thing that I'm talking about is more in the heavy to intense scrutiny products and services. They cost thousands of to millions of dollars and there needs to be somebody to answer those specific questions. Is this going to fit in my physical or virtual environment? How big is it? And honestly, even on Amazon, people don't answer that question properly. But so, and now I need to talk about one other concept, which is something came up with a few years ago, which is the mindset of the customer when they set out to buy is more important than all the other characteristics of a customer. And the mindset consists of their desires, their concerns, and their questions. And if you address all of those in your website and every place else, if you know what they actually are because you've interviewed your customers, then you're going to make sales. So in making this change, and I know you've shepherded at least a couple of companies in making this transition, does does the change have to go beyond simply swapping out traditional salespeople for customer service representatives, or is a change just sort of localized to what previously had been called the sales department and sales function? Well, you definitely have to get the CEO on board. CEOs love sales because to them, it's a very logical thing. 
you send people out into the world and beat the bushes and knock on doors and you get money. That's how they see it. Yep. And, and as we've talked about extensively in this segment here, uh, those days are done. And so it's kind of sad, but they don't have that anymore. So now you have to convince them that there's another way, a better way. And telling a CEO that you're going to replace the salespeople with customer service people who are going to make it easy for the customer to buy will scare him to death, If you, especially if you don't have the right number of leads coming in. Because if you don't have anybody calling out, even if it wasn't working very well, it still felt like activity. You better your marketing better be working, bringing in qualified clients with content marketing and social marketing and all the stuff that we do to bring to bring customers in. So that's the part that is difficult. He has to be he or she has to be on board with it, or you're going to be fighting and fighting and fighting all the way. And, and you know, to me, it also seems there needs to be a mindset change, even even a cultural change in some in some respects. Mm-hmm. If you know, when when you, yeah, I'm I'm as I've said many times in this program, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek. Start with why. Yeah. Um, just reread the book. Yeah. And, Good old and, Simon. <laughs> you know, one of the one of the things one of the lessons he teaches in that book is how so much of sales is outright manipulation. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Especially when you change price, when you lower mm-hmm. price, for example, to land a sale. Mm-hmm. That's that's just outright manipulation, which is to me was a brilliant observation. That's yeah, um, true. And, and and when you when you rely on outbound sales in a traditional sense, whether you whether you realize it or not, whether you like it or not, you've basically put your chips in the middle of the table, saying that we rely on manipulation to sell, <laughs> right? And if you're honest about it. Yeah, um, I, I, and I, the people at the receiving end would definitely say that for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yep. I mean, the people on the on the offering end probably would not say that, and that would be right. a very painful revelation to many of them. But it, from where I sit, that's what's happening. That that would yep. be my analysis. Yeah, I think yep. Simon would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, so the the deeper the deeper organizational change, the deeper kind of soul shift, if you will, if I can get a little bit metaphysical here. Mm. is you 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 have to embrace the fact that you're going to do a lot of things for people that you don't know who may very well never buy from you and buy from your competitors instead um and and get nothing for it but that's now table stakes yeah because otherwise there's no reason for somebody to to kind of come to you yeah that is correct. You've said it very well. And that's easy to say. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's very easy to do. Yeah. And, you know, um, the guy who headed up Zappos had a very unfortunate end. I'm sorry about that because I did read his book and I was very impressed with what he was doing there at Zappos. But he built a whole business selling shoes. Yep. And those people were instructed to do whatever they could to help a customer. And there's a famous story in there about a woman who was on with another one, a customer, a female customer. It took them eight hours to find the right shoe for her. <laughs> okay. And then, and you know, usually um, a CEO would be horrified that somebody would spend eight full hours for one pair of $200 shoes or whatever. Right. But the, the absolute delight, you know, that was their whole thing. We're, we're out to delight people. And it worked. And he became a billionaire. You know, Amazon bought the company. It wasn't bad result. But you really have to be willing. This takes some bravery and courage. You have to trust the fact that your buyers really do want to buy from you and that you really do have a good product or service. And you have, you've trained your people to be able to help the customer when they set out to buy and have that, that good, meaningful, consultative conversation, which is why I don't like the word order taker, because that's not it. They're not just sitting there taking orders. Yep. They're talking about, oh, you need this by, hmm, okay, we'll have to figure that out. We can't do it by that date. What if we do this? And what's the, what's the, the um, 
basic setup of your data center, for example, and what kind of floors do you have and how high are the racks up from the floor? And, you know, so you, you have a lot of very specific requirements that people have. And by the way, this whole scrutiny model has been interesting to me in a sense where you can spend four hours on Amazon trying to find the proper $10 item. I mean, it's gotten kind of skewed because, again, people think they're going to be able to find exactly what they need, and their needs are very specific. And so your customer service people have to be able to address those needs and solve, and given the power and the knowledge to solve problems for the customer. They're problem solvers. And, and you know, be, because they're problem solvers, I think that the, the, the process of implementing this goes as deep as to even how you recruit mm-hmm. and oh, onboard and compensate such people. Yes, of course. Absolutely. As I mentioned, you stay away from commissions and quotas and <clears throat> you make them very aware of, of the sales and where it's going overall for the company. And you also give them bonuses, maybe quarter by quarter or at the end of the year, um, that say the whole company went up this much and you were a big part of that. So you get this percentage of that. So let me, let me throw out kind of a radical idea. I'd like, like you to react to it. And if you just think that I'm crazy, please feel free to say that you will not be the first person on the show. to accuse me of that. <laughs> That's fine. You. I'm not afraid. But, but what about, can, can you even go so far as to reward somebody that, make sure that you don't get a, that you don't acquire a bad customer because, you know, sales, you know, in a traditional sales function, you bring in the sale, you get your commission and then it's no longer your problem generally. Right. Right. right? But it could be somebody else's big problem, big headache. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I'll go, I'll go back to, to, to start with why. And there was an anecdote about uh, a, a woman who constantly sent letters to the, the CEO of Southwest Airlines about how she was unhappy with the service mm-hmm. right? because she expected full service on a discount service airline. Mm-hmm. And, you know, finally, they basically responded to this person. She, the, the CEO responded to this person saying, you know, dear Mrs. Smith, whatever her name was, we're sure going to miss you because mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they spent so yeah. much time trying to satisfy a customer that could never be satisfied. Right. And I don't know about you, but I mean, you know, I've, I've had customers, I've deep clients, I've deeply regretted taking on. I can remember every single one of them. Um, they can be so damaging to an organization. Mm-hmm. And, and I wonder if, 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 a, if a role also of a, of a customer service representative is to identify a customer that in the, in the long run and maybe even the short run is going to wind up costing the, the, the company money. And, and filtering them out. Yeah, it's an interesting question. For service businesses, and I am one and have been for years, uh, I have a, a jerk test because I refuse to work with jerks. I don't have any jerk employees and I don't have any jerk clients. So we're living in this, this bubble, this jerk-free bubble, which is a wonderful thing. I mean, honestly, nobody's hurting anybody. Everybody's helping anybody. And I define a jerk as a person who makes life harder on other people. The good people don't do that. They try to make life easier on everybody else. So you live in an environment, if you're jerk-free, where everybody's trying to help everybody do a good job and be happy. As much as you can do that in a service company in particular, it's a really good idea. Or if you have long-term relationships with people. And just like the CEO of Southwest, you have to be willing to walk away if they are making life hard on the other people in the company. One of my clients right now is a big company that does um, benefit programs for HR companies. They manage the benefit programs. And so I've been interviewing HR people lately, and I've been asking one of my questions when I do these interviews is, what's your biggest problem right now? And of course, the biggest problem is finding qualified talent. And what really keeps people in companies, in my experience, working with hundreds of companies and and thousands of customers and thousands and thousands of of, um, workers inside companies, large and small, 
is that management and the customers make it easier for them to do their job. They come to work. Nobody's stopping them from doing the right thing. They, they have permission and, and full support to do a good job. So that's really what we're talking about here. And it has to be a culture in the company. And if the CEO or the somebody on top is a jerk and they're just jerking people around all day and making life hard, it poisons the well. And the good people leave. They don't need to take it. They'll find a job somewhere else in the blink of an eye, especially these days. So I think, you know, in, in a way, this whole thing is about caring. That's really what this is. It's not about manipulating. It's not about pushing people to get what you want. It's caring enough about the people who are interested in what you have and the people working for you so that you make it easy for them to accomplish their goals. And then that pays off. In my experience, it pays off big time. So um, what is... What are some signs of, you know, somebody listening to this may be thinking, oh boy, you know, this, this, this is interesting. <laughs> Got to think about it. Mm-hmm. I think very carefully about maybe moving in this direction. What are some signs that somebody listening to this show could, could use or, or, or try to identify in order to diagnose whether or not this is a, this is a scenario that's hurting their own organization and this may be a change they should consider making. What are the, what are the symptoms of the disease? Unfortunately, they are very hidden from general management. Hmm. And I used to do sales and marketing department turnarounds and I made sure that my office was right, right next to, I was, you know, at the side, the side office with the windows, but in all the cubicles, there were salespeople. And I could hear their conversations with customers. That's absolutely essential if you're managing a sales department because you want to know how they're, what they're doing with customers. Now, these days, you also usually record all of the conversations and you start listening. This is where you're going to find out if they're pushing, if they're trying to sell the whole presentation to the customer You know, they want to tell the history of the company and all that. I was just talking to somebody recently. They said they went into a dealership to buy a car. They knew just what they wanted. They thought, okay, I could go in there and 15 minutes later walk out with a car because I know they'll have it and I know what I want. And instead, the salesman tried to take him through the history of the company and then his history working with the company and then the history of the brand that he was going to sell him. (laughs) The guy was like, just give me the car, you know, just right. give me. Do you want to sell me a car or not? Yeah. <laughs> so top management has to listen to at least 10 or 20 of the calls that a salesperson is making in a given week or whatever, and just start to realize, oh man, if I was a customer on the other end, he didn't hear, he or she didn't hear what I just said. They're pushing, they're, they're not answering the customer's questions. And, you know, with all of this in mind, are we making it easier for them to buy? Or even not just the people, but our policies, you know, we can't sell it this way. We can only sell it this way. And what if the majority of your customers are saying, well, I want it this way. So this is what you find out when you get into the weeds, into those conversations. Because the conversation is where the sale is going to be made or lost. I'm talking with Kristen Zhivago, and the topic is, should I replace my salespeople with customer service representatives? Um, we don't have much time left, and I want to try to squeeze every bit of information we can out of you before, before you <laughs> take off. Mm. Um, are, are there any industries in which this kind of transformation tends to be more effective than others? Are, is this is this shift tailor made for specific for some industries more than others? Well, I'd go back to the heavy and and uh, intense scrutiny industry. So if you if you're if your sales depend on someone being on the phone, you know it's not an e-commerce purchase where they can figure it all out and buy it online or you know clothing the medium and and light scrutiny things this isn't you don't need these kind of people although there are some companies who use this method 
and are selling clothing and they do really well because customers know they can get answers. Again, we go back to Zappos as an example. But I think most of what I'm talking about here applies to B2C and B2B um, heavy or intense scrutiny products and services. Um, Kristen, this has been a great conversation. I've learned a lot. Um, And uh, I'm sure there are questions that, that somebody in the audience thought of that I didn't or wish that we would have spent more time on one question more than we did. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody wants to follow up with you on this conversation, ask you questions, can they do so? And if so, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, you can just Google me. Um, I'm, I dominate the top pages. Um, so just my name and Google is fine. Our website is zhivagopartners.com. And um, in addition to the Digital, the whole scale of digital marketing, the whole spectrum of digital marketing services that we provide. I also do uh, revenue coaching. I continue to do that. I did that for decades before I opened this company. Um, and I opened this company because I saw a lot of mid-sized companies who needed to uh, understand digital marketing and they had digital savvy competitors who were beating them uh, in the marketplace. So anyway, that's how they can find me. And the book is uh, on Amazon. It's Roadmap to Revenue, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy. That's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Kristen Zhivago so much for sharing her expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us that we can help them. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. Also check out my new LinkedIn group called Unblakeable's Group That Doesn't Suck. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast. <laughs>